Hello all, we are recording inside the Cohab Podcast Studio space under the Texas Street Bridge by the Red River in downtown Shreveport, Louisiana, and this is the 3180 Podcast. I am your host, Josh Clayton, Thomas Young is in the studio with me handling our sound, and we are trying to determine, through conversations with folks in this area, what's going on in the 318. What is Shreveport's identity? We are poised to make this town the town that we want it to be. It's time for Shreveport to make a 180. So every Thursday, we're here at Cohab, under the bridge, talking to different folks around town who are doing just that. Welcome to the 3180 Podcast. Episode 4. Today we welcome Jared Bevel. Jared Bevel is from Winfield, Louisiana. Went to Louisiana Tech in Ruston and LSU in Baton Rouge. He moved back to Shreveport to work for Willis Knighton and became an entrepreneur thereafter. He is the proprietor of Red River Brewing along with his partners, and he also works for EAP in economic development. So please welcome Jared Bevel. What's going on, Jared Bevel? Not a whole lot, Josh. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Um, welcome to the 3180 Podcast. This is episode number four. So um, Why wasn't I number one? Uh, you wouldn't You wouldn't answer my calls. I, mean, uh, I, kept, uh, I kept reaching out to you, but... Um, Anyway, I just I went up to get us some water up at the front of Cohab. Do I see your beer on tap up here? Probably, yeah. And you don't have a key to this joint? I don't. No, we were, but we're a, we're a Cohab alum, so we're uh, it's it's great to have our beer up here, and we're we're Cohab supporters. It's been it's been a great. It was great for us. Um, it's hard to believe that was 2014 that we went through their program, but uh, it was a great program for us. So I'm glad to be back in here and just to. It's kind of nostalgic to come back in here, and um, I'm, I'm glad that we've got the the podcast room in here that we can that we can utilize. But go ahead, it's a great amenity. Yeah, man. Um, well, for those who those listeners, we have I think we're going to have three listeners. Um, but for those three listeners who might not know you, let us know what you're up to here in Shreveport and what brought you to town and a little bit of, a little bit of your background. Yeah. So um, you know, of course, you and I knew each other at LSU through a mutual friend. We used to run the lakes a little bit together. Um, and then uh, my wife is from Bozier, actually. So when I graduated LSU, she was up here. She was a school teacher. And so when I, I needed a job, moved up here, got married. And before we got married, I, I got a job in healthcare up here at uh, Willis Knighton and never really left that um, entity in physician practice management. I was there about 12 years. And during that time, um, a, a friend of mine and I, and um, I, of course, our mutual friend Bo Rains. Uh, we decided to start a craft brewery, and that was about uh, 2009. We started home brewing in my garage, and that was during the craft boom, uh, craft beer boom that was starting, where craft beer was growing about 10, 12 percent a year. We kind of took a look at that, looked at a at a map, and said, "Hey, look, there's nothing around here within three to four hundred miles. Somebody's going to do this. It may as well be us." So very soon after we started in my garage around 2009, 2010, we really kind of got serious and started trying to put a business plan together. And that was really kind of my passion. I've got, I've got a finance degree. Um, the challenge of doing something that hadn't have been, that hadn't been done, kind of cutting new, cutting a new trail was really kind of what, what got me. And plus it was beer, which made it fun, made it kind of sexy. Everybody wanted to hear about it. So it took us a while. We um, in 2012 we incorporated. We started raising a little bit of money. We kind of did a little friends and family seed round. We bootstrapped a little bit. We put up our own money, 
And then in October of 2013, we opened uh, right on the edge of downtown Shreveport. We kept our day jobs. We did that for about two years uh, while we brewed at night, brewed on the weekends, keg beer. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how many hours we were working during that time. A couple of us had some kids during that time. And it kind of got to the point we said, we either got to grow this thing or die. We got to kill it because it's killing us. And so we went through the cohab program and um, started raising some money. We were able to get a bank loan. And then we moved up to 1200 Marshall Street in March, April of 2016. So that was about a two and a half year period between when we launched until we moved. Um, we actually only ended up moving about 500 yards yeah. uh, from where we started. And I think I had a beer at the first joint. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I used to see you run. Beers. I'd see you run by going up the street. We'd yell at you um, a few times. Oh but yeah, y'all were brewing. Uh, y'all were brewing beer behind Thrash Construction in those in his storage sheds, weren't you? We were. Yeah, we were in a we were in an eighteen hundred square feet pizza oven. Uh, so it, we had a, a direct fire brew system, which you know, which just means it's really hot. You're you're fire, you're heating up the all the liquids with natural gas, and it was in a brick enclosed building. So during the summer, like in July, when we'd be brewing, uh, you'd get up near the kettles when it was time to kind of clean out the grain from the from the mash tun. Not to get too technical on everybody, but uh, it, we started getting a thermometer. It was about 140 degrees. Uh, so you you'd do that. It would take about an hour, and you'd walk back out in the Louisiana sun of about three o'clock in the afternoon in July, and it felt like you were walking into air conditioning. Yeah. Bo got skinny that summer, probably. We did, yeah. Um, actually, Robert did a br- double brew day by himself. Yeah, and, and let me just say, there was three of us that founded the company, myself, Robert McGuire, and Bo Raines. So the, the three of us did a lot of hours during that time. And one day, Robert did a double brew day by himself, about 14 hours, and he lost about 11 pounds of water weight. <laughs> um, was he drinking while he was doing it? You always have to, yeah. you gotta, you got to do a little quality control. But yeah, so we've been we've been invested, been in downtown Shreveport since 2013, and uh, so now you know looking, it's been about five and a half years that that that, that we've been doing that. So what um, what were, you, were you in accounting at Willis Knighton, or the, what exactly were you doing over there? I was doing physician practice management, which you know I was doing everything from looking at physician compensation, productivity. Then I got into the insurance side of you know negotiating with with large insurance companies. Um, and, and so I did, I kind of ran the gamut of doing that, and then that evolved into quality, uh, which is the big thing in healthcare now. And they were gracious enough, even when, when I kind of started uh, the side project, went to my boss and told him what I was doing, and they kind of worked with me to kind of help bridge the gap. Um, so, you know, I kind of got a, a nice perspective into healthcare uh, at that time, and, and really kind of numbers, it kind of seasoned me a little bit. What, um, what what when did you catch the entrepreneur bug? Like, what made you want to quit a good nine to five where you actually had a paycheck and I'm assuming maybe some health benefits at the hospital to go uh, to go brew beer for a living? You know, I, I can't I can't think back to the specific the specific date, but my family, uh, my dad, uh, had a manufacturing business, and I'm originally from Winfield, Central Louisiana. My family's been there. They literally came on the wagon train in the mid 1800s uh, my sister and I are the first in about five generations not to not to live there but my dad had a, a lumber manufacturing business with two other partners and that's that's how my family got fed that's how it was raised 
and my mom had an independent insurance agency. So my, both my parents were self-employed. And so I saw the good and the bad with that. My dad was in a double commodities market, you know, timber, that's a commodity, and then lumber. On the, on the, and so sometimes it's great, sometimes you're upside down on both ends. And so I, I kind of got to experience that firsthand. Sometimes things were great. Sometimes dad didn't get paid for a year or so. Yeah. And uh, that's what people don't really understand. So when I kind of got ready to do uh, or make the leap, I had a lot of conversations with him. And I can specifically remember him telling me, if you want to get ahead in, in life or in this world, he said, you got to do something for yourself. And I think that kind of really resonated because I kind of saw the path that I was on. And, and there's nothing wrong with an eight to five job. You can do that. You can follow that path. But it is a different lifestyle. Um, you know, it's 11 o'clock today. I didn't have to ask anybody if I could come over here and have this conversation with you guys. You kind of just decide what you're going to do. But I may work till eight or nine o'clock tonight when everybody else clocked out at five. So it's just a different lifestyle. But luckily, I was kind of re- raised in it. It's been a little different for my household because my wife, that, that was not how she was raised. Yeah. Her dad yeah. had a great corporate job, did that for years. And so that's kind of been an interesting kind of d- dynamic to maneuver, but she's been great, been on board with it. But it's definitely uh, something that, and especially kind of what I'm doing now as well. So I started back in March doing some part-time consulting with uh, the EAP, the Entrepreneur Accelerator Program. I'm helping startups and other businesses, people that have business ideas, kind of navigate that startup environment. So people come to us with an idea, um, and then we kind of help counsel them, coach them to get them to uh, either launch, raising money, et cetera, because we've gone through that. But a lot of what I try to provide is not just the, the practical, like, hey, when you negotiate a lease or when you're looking at this, you know, be careful, et cetera, but really try to mentally prepare them for what you're going to go through because uh, there's some PTSD, there's some, there's some things that there's some really scary times when you feel like you're on a alone on an island and people need to understand that when, when you're going in because a lot of times we, we hear the, the successful entrepreneur stories it's like we want to look at the end of the movie and we kind of or the beginning and the end and we kind of cut out the middle where the guy's like really drudging it out and, and, and really kind of taking taking on a bunch of blows but yeah you um, need like a rocky montage basically exactly. I mean like you, you don't you don't go like they said in South Park from a beginner to a pro without a montage like you absolutely need that for an entrepreneur because the the middle ground uh, that's that's where the rubber meets the road. It's kind of miserable. Yeah, is but, there is there a large program here? Like, are there a lot of people that want to make their own business here? Yeah, so it's you know it's been really interesting to see um, the program that I work in is really geared towards all of North Louisiana. So we do a lot of marketing across 21 parishes across North Louisiana. What's, what is the EAP title that program? What's it called? Uh, the Entrepreneur Accelerator Program. And it's, and, it's and a that, division of the BRF. Okay. So yeah. we're, we're kind of an economic development unit um, in, in, in Caddo. Well, EAP is. It's, EAP this is. isn't a, 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 a different division of EAP. This is EAP that you're talking about? That's correct. Okay. But but we have, we have a program that is purely... It's part of EAP, but it's 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 a little bit separate. It's, it's hard to explain in, in in a corporate sense. But basically, we have two folks, so myself and a guy named Brett Brown, that are focused on ideas and businesses that want to either either that exist and they're wanting to grow, so we can help existing businesses, or we somebody that just has an idea that says, "Hey, I've got this idea on a piece of paper, or I have this prototype and I want to launch it." 
we focus on anything outside of Caddo Parish across 21 parishes. So, and I say all that to say, I see ideas that come from Shreveport Bossier or Caddo Parish, and I also see ideas that, you know, or people have in Natchitoches or Rayville or places like that as well. So your focus, is it just you that's focusing not on Caddo because they have so many coming from Caddo that they put you on this other type of program? We have we have three analysts that focus just on Caddo. Oh, I got you, yeah. And then Brett and I focus on, on everything, the other 21 parishes, because we're building those out. Because EAP's been going for four or five years, yeah. and we're kind of trying to develop those other contacts and entities. What are, what are the top, like, three other parishes that you're seeing kind of consistently that have um, – we, we've been talking a lot about Ruston in the last w- couple weeks. It just seems like there's something really nice happening there. But it, do you see stuff coming out of there, or is there other places that we're just not hearing about? We're not getting a whole lot of leads out of Ruston, but I, I agree with you. We kind of we, we look at that as you look across the I-20 corridor and go, you know, there's 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 growth over there happening. But we're not getting a lot of leads coming out of there. We're getting a lot out of Natchitoches. Uh, we're starting to get a lot of Monroe. Um, and then... We get some from all over, but um, those are the two biggest that really stick out. That kind of those, those areas. There, there's so many other rural parishes around, but um, we're we're not seeing a whole lot out of Bozier right now. But I think that's just because people. That's a marketing issue. People understanding that we can work with companies that are outside of Caddo Parish now, whereas before, through the normal EAP program, you had to locate. Parish, but that's not the case under this other program. It's called Norlieb um, that, that Brett and I work on. It's it's geared across North Louisiana. N O R L E A P. Yeah. Okay. What? Um, before I, I want to go more into EAP here in just a second, but can you rewind and tell me more about the Cohab program that you went through and kind of explain what brought you here, what you learned, and and how it launched you into what you're doing right now with Red River? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually went through Cohab. Which and I can bridge that to EAP because it prepared us to 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 go into that other additional program. So we um, actually when we went through, I remember John Grinley, who was the executive director at that time, came. He courted us to go through their program. He literally would come down to the brewery a couple times. He was a real salesman. Would come down and say, "I want you to come through this program. I want you to do this." So, so y'all were brewing behind Thad's. Correct. We had already started. Okay. Yeah. We had just launched in in. You know October, but we did a ton of work up to that point sure, to, sure. to get there. So we had been down there, and so we had launched in in October. And John was coming down, going, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna start a new cohort um, in in January. So we're we're trying to get you know ten to twelve businesses to go through our program that lasts for a year. You guys are perfect because you're a startup, but you're wanting to grow your business. You're wanting to raise funds, and we can help you do that." Mm-hmm. And we were very reluctant because, just from a time standpoint, because we all had our day jobs. We were doing that at night and on the weekend, and we were looking at it, going, "Where are we going to fit this in?" But John was so persistent <laughs> that that we agreed to do it. And I, I can honestly say, like, we would not be here had we not gone through that program because of what it led to. Um, so we started, and there was ten or twelve businesses that started with us, um, and. You know, some of them still exist today. Some of them still don't. I still see some of the people around town that went through uh, with us. But what it did is it prepared us to get our pitch deck ready. So when you think of a pitch deck, that's 
that's like your slide presentation. It got us ready to give an elevator pitch, which an elevator pitch is when you're trying to raise money, you need to be able to tell someone what your idea is and what you want to do in the length of an elevator ride, so 60 to 90 seconds roughly. And it prepared us to get our financial pro forma together. So, you know, your, your balance sheet, your P&Ls, your cash flow statements for a four or five year period, your projections. Because ultimately, when you want to start a business, unless you have deep pockets or you can um, organically grow your business, if you're looking to either go get an investment or go get a bank loan, you got to have those three documents. You got to have a pitch deck that you can sit down and kind of put on a you know, put on a screen or a TV and say, walk them through, this is how I'm going to, this is my idea, this is how I'm going to grow it, this is how I'm going to make money. Yeah. Um, you need that pro forma so the bank sees that it, it, it makes sense and you know what you're doing, you understand your, your business and the numbers. And then that elevator pitch to when you can kind of hook people uh, right off the bat when you're talking with a potential investor, just anybody, you can explain to them what you want to do. So hopefully that was an elevator pitch of the Cohab program. Uh, for, for, for what they prepared us to do. So you guys came in here with Red River Brewing as not only an idea, but as a, a functioning business already. You were brewing kegs, you're brewing beer, selling kegs, and you came into the to the Cohab program. And what did that program look like? Like how often did you guys come to meet? And So know? we had weekly meetings and we had assignments and they gave us a mentor. And so- Who was yours? Uh, we went through a couple. So we started with a guy named Nathan Luke. Yeah. Um, his wife, was in the med school she ended up you know yeah. her time was done so she moved on we ended up with another guy that i'm not going to mention um and then we ended up our final one was a guy named grant knuckles um which most yeah. people know grant absolutely and uh but the, really who our mentor ended up being and he's still what i consider my personal mentor today and he ended up being one of our investors was jim Walsh, and jim was the uh, chairman of the board, I believe, of Cohab at that time. He may still be doing that. But um, Jim, for whatever reason, kind of took us under his wing. Uh, he's still, I talk to Jim three or four times a week, still what I consider a great personal friend, um, not just a mentor. But that program, when we got ready to really raise money, we were way more successful in doing that because ultimately you get one shot with most people when you're trying to raise money. Yeah. And, it ha- and you kind of have an expiration date, too, because you start talking with people and you get three or four people kind of on the hook and you've got a total goal that you're trying to meet. Well, if you can't close out that funding round in a reasonable time, six, eight months, those first few people you talk to, they find other things to do with your money. They get a little nervous because, hey, this guy can't, if he can't close this, how's he going to do, how's he going to, you know, really make this business work? So when we graduated through, um, through Cohab, and we got through in about six, eight months. We went directly, we had raised about 80% of our funds and then we went over to EAP and we didn't go through the full program. They offer kind of a very similar program, mm-hmm. but, um, or we do, I guess. We just kind of went in and pitched in front of their angel group for, for investment. We picked up two investors through uh, the EAP um, or the, the angel group that, that, that's there, which really kind of helped us close our round out. Um, which was great. So we we raised money for almost a year, and uh, and that got us per, and that let us close our bank loan, which we did like in July of uh, fifteen, and so in really in September of twenty fifteen we broke ground. We moved into twelve hundred Marshall Street, and it took us until mid March of sixteen to kind of really launch. But those two programs, Cohab prepared us to really fast track the EAP program and get that funding. And, and move forward. 
What would the assignments look like? Like, I mean, you meet up here every week, and then, you know, you got three grown men with kids and houses and mortgages and full-time jobs. So what did the assignment look like that, that you'd have to go through and put together? So, you know, one of them one week would be, you know, let's work on your pitch deck. So, again, that's like a, a PowerPoint slide presentation of 10 to 15 slides. Um, the other one may be your pro forma. Okay, this week we're going to work just on your balance sheet. This week we're going to work on your profit and loss statement. This week we're going to work on, you know, your cash flow statement, okay. things of that nature. And then marketing was a big piece, like who is your target market? How are you going to reach them? Uh, so it really a full business plan course is really what it was. And it was it was great because the other thing that you do is you get some camaraderie. You're, you're dealing with... You're, or you're interacting with other businesses that are maybe either a little further ahead of you, maybe a little further behind you, or they're right where you are. And so there's some camaraderie there um, to, um, to, to kind of go through that. You know, uh, John Chidlow is someone that he, he some, of the pro, some of the folks that have gone through, that went through, um, that have launched businesses here, um, w- went through Cohab, went through EAP. You know, they've got analyzer labs that, that, that they have. Um, he went... Um, the next cohort behind us. So his, his explain explain what his um, his business does. Something with oil field testing. They do they do like gas. They have they developed a device that it's a sensor that de- that uh, that I guess looks for certain types of gases in pipelines or things. So, um, but they went. I bring that I bring him up because he was in the cohort right behind us. I didn't go through it, but because we're cohab alumni, like. We we were at the same events. We would do yeah. some, we would do, um, you know, you're. It's 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 a small group of folks that that really have taken something from an idea. I say it's a small group. It's I, my circle that I interact with. It's it's hard to take people underestimate how hard it is to take something from just an idea, all the way through to a business because of all the different hoops. Or, a big business, you know, not not, and, and I'm not knocking like a t-shirt business, but I'm saying something requires a lot of capital, oh yeah, a lot of investment, yeah. because there's so many things that have to go your way and fall into place to make that work. So you kind of start rubbing shoulders with those guys, and you pick up the phone every now and then, and go, man, have you dealt with this? Uh, yeah, let me let me let me give you an idea of kind of how that went, and so you kind of get a network of folks that 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 can empathize with you. Cool. Well. That's not the same as the CEO roundtable that they do here, or is that? No, that's through LED. Okay. Uh, and you apply for that, and I think that's statewide. Yeah. Uh, but but no, it's not the same thing. But what that, do they call their program here at Cohab? Um, I'll ask Jessica. I but, can't remember what it was when we went through it. I've gone through almost. We went through one at Tech actually, before, Louisiana Tech, before we went through the Cohab. When I've been through almost every accelerator program. Yeah. Um, in North Louisiana to help us. <laughs> and now you're running one. And now, well, yeah, I've seen them all, and now I'm helping. Well, I'm not running yeah. but yeah, I'm, 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 helping, uh, I'm helping run one. Now. So what does EAP call their program again? Uh, we call it the EAP, the that, Entrepreneur and, okay. Accelerator Program. And then, How uh, often do they put together a cohort? We don't actually do cohorts. So we'll take anybody, and, and, and we assign those out to the analysts. So you can that's, – that's kind of the beauty of, of what we do is it's not like you miss a window and you have to wait 6, 8, 12 months. To, to catch the next one. We'll take you, as long as you meet certain criteria that we're looking for, um, we'll, we'll take you on and, and, and do it. And the goal is to kind of, uh, in this space of time, have something ready to go. Our goal is to get 
people through our EAP program in 90 to 120 days. Wow. And so, and, and the reason I say that you have to meet certain criteria, if you're just at the idea phase of I've got something on a piece of paper, it's really hard to take it all the way to market in 120 days. What we want is someone that's got a working prototype or very close to that, that we can say, okay, you've got a prototype, how do you scale it? How do we get the? How do we get you the funding you need? How do you? We need to let you understand how much funding you do need, and let you understand your market and how you're going to reach folks. Well, we've talked on this podcast a little bit, but Thomas and I in general have talked about how much entrepreneurship is going on elsewhere, mm-hmm. and how these days you don't really have to live where you work or work where you live. You can do a lot of stuff remotely, and Shreveport has very cheap housing, and uh, it's pretty easy and cheap to start a business here. Um, people complain a lot about Louisiana taxes or Shreveport taxes or whatever, but in general, you can take an idea or you can live here cheaply and, and run a business at m- much more cost effectively than you could in, say, Northern California. So does EAP ever look for other early stage entrepreneurs and try to bring them into our area and, and foster that creative side of entrepreneurship absolutely so so like either a relocation or expansion is that, is that kind of yeah thing? yeah yeah so you know i i can't we're under ndas with all the companies oh, we sure, work sure. with i can't speak to specifics but we we talk with anywhere from i i've had discussions with software companies that exist in other markets that are looking to locate even in downtown shreveport because and the statistic and, and, and that, that we use or we hear is there's about a million square feet of office space available in downtown Treeport. So there's a huge opportunity there. And, and we see um, some of the folks that, that interact with, um, with our angel group own some of that property. And a lot of times they will do investment through helping someone through a lease to help them put them in a building because believe it or not, there are a lot of people here in different age brackets, not just young guys our age, we're calling ourselves young, but, um, but some, some of the older old guards, some of the older money that really want to see this area grow, and they're willing to help do that. I think the challenge is making people aware of it and connecting all those dots. It seems like it, that's basically exactly what why we're doing this, yeah. is because we've <laughs> had the same conversation multiple times, and everybody's kind of talking about it, but there's there seems to be a disconnect between, hey, have you talked to, you know, person X? Oh, no. Well, you and he are basically, like, along the same lines. You're really kind of on the same track. And then, so hopefully this, whatever this is. Yeah, whatever it turns all, into. All, all three yeah. people that are listening to it will then turn into four people. So <laughs> I think, I think it, that's a great point. I think the big thing, and I kind of indirectly stated, is, is it, are people, number one, are they serious enough? to really see the idea through? And number two, are they willing to do the work and do the sacrifice? The idea comes really fast. <laughs> That's right. right. Like, we, we have this conversation as well. It's like the ideas, like, look at all this list of ideas, but then the details of each one of those ideas becomes, wow, look at that list of things. That's a huge, and if you, you know, it's like, you know, can you carry, you know, how many, you know, you eat the elephant one bite at a time. Is that the saying? There's some yeah. saying about like, you know, just chop it into little bits and, and that's how you get things done. But speaking yeah. from experience, those little bits I, while you're doing your 
full-time job and everything else. Ideas seem to be easy for us to come up with, and the people that we're having conversations with have ideas, have turned them into breweries, have, have done all kinds of stuff. But in my estimation, Shreveport has been pretty short on ideas in the last 30 years. And in the last maybe five to eight-ish, we're starting to see some really cool ideas come to fruition. But um, that's, I mean, ideas are easy, and maybe people have had ideas, but it seems to me that, that the younger the younger folks in town, the under 50 crowd, um, is, is really pushing some of these ideas forward and turn, really making the, you know, the 180 that I'm trying to create with this podcast. They're the ones doing it. Well, and, and, and part of, you know, and a large thing that comes up is, is jobs. We need jobs. We need jobs. I agree 100%. That's why, that's part of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing at EAP, because I agree with that. I think I, I, I've, I've trudged it out. I've walked through all the steps so I can help shortcut that with a few people. I can say, hey, don't do that. That's a dumb idea. I did that. I've, I've skimped my nose. I have a permanent scar for how many times I've fallen down making mistakes. And, and I don't want people to repeat those. Um, so in lieu of getting a huge employer to come in, what we need to continue to do is foster the small idea that's going to bring in five, ten jobs. And if we do that enough times, it, it – cr- you know, like I, I view our business, the Red River Brewing Company, is, is almost like a community in, um, amenity that when people are looking to relocate here or do things, that they go, oh, yeah, there's a couple breweries here. There's things to do. And and so I think until we get that big employer to come in, um, all of us helping the guy that wants to start the the. the it may not be sexy. It may not be a lot of jobs, but he's got an idea to create a business that's going to bring in five, ten jobs. If we do a hundred of those a year, wow! I mean, what what would that do? And um, there's a lot of resources, not just Cohab, not EAP. I mean, we've tried to take advantage of of everything. Uh, Liz of uh, the DSDC or DDA, whichever it's acronym you want to use, yeah. Downtown Development Authority. They have a loan program that we took advantage of as well. That if you're in if you're in downtown Treeport, located in the downtown, the DDA, the Downtown De- Development Authority area, they have a low, low, low interest loan program, and it's not really hard to, it's not very taxing to go through the paperwork. You got to have a pro forma, and a, you got to know what you're doing, yeah, and demonstrate that you know what you're doing. But we went through that, and we got a loan for some equipment, and people need to be aware that those things exist, and there's people here that want to help. Um, and and that's hopefully if I can if if I can maybe communicate anything today it's it's that there's some people that find a, a problem with every solution and then you either have the other mentality of you find a solution to every problem and so you either go after it and you figure it out because nobody's going to do it for you or you don't and so hopefully like-minded people or there are like-minded people here that are willing to do it, that are willing to put put themselves out there. And so you just need to, to look up and listen to it because it's not all negative here. I mean, I, I see so many ideas and deal flow coming through EAP that it's, it's, there's a lot of good things on the horizon that, that just need to catch a break here or there to, to, to happen. Yeah, and I think we talked about this, uh, I think with Chase specifically, like there's a lot of really nice people here that do want to help. Like, Hey, I have the ability to help. Like you, you're you're like I have the ability to help. I, I've seen I've 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 skint my nose. Let me help you. And people, like you know where you started. It's like man, 
it was tough at the beginning and it's been you know a lot of people helped like all we got to do is just get that list <laughs> publish this list somewhere of like the helpful list put everybody people. in one room the, yeah. the the helpful room you're you're 100 percent, and you have to you have to me you have to have that self-reflection recognition to look back and go i didn't do all this myself who helped me and what do i owe based on that and what you owe is to do the same thing you know i I need to be the Jim Mosh to someone else, and, and that's what I owe him. And, and so that's, that's the mentality we often take on is take a look and say, who helped me and how do I help the next guy? Yeah, it's to like pay it forward, like, hey, help three people, and then, you know, because if those three people help three people, you know, you've got to really – like when you're saying, hey, if we can start, you know, a hundred of these, you know, five people, ten people jobs – I mean, that's that's huge, huge, huge. Like, especially for for s- such a small group. Yeah, I, I don't know if the savior is coming. I don't know if there's some large scale organization, some Amazon, AT and T, GM type situation that's going to come land in Shreveport anytime soon. No, no, soon. we just make it ourselves. That's I mean, yeah, that's yeah, the point. Exactly. Like, if if you get known as the place yeah. where, hey, they start a hundred businesses over there that hire five people. I mean, yeah, you're not you're not Amazon, but it's like. That's still better than, you know, well, nothing. Well, to that end, I mean, like, obviously, Cohab was a help to you, and uh, mentors were a help to you, and, and EAP was a help to you. But, like, you guys, I, I think when you said March of 2016, mm-hmm. 1200 Marshall Street opened its doors, Red River Brewing had a tap room, right? What did the city of Shreveport do, or what did the city of Shreveport not do? I mean, obviously, I know that Liz Swain's been a partner of yours and really beneficial. You've told me that before. Um, and she's integral in getting anything going downtown. Mm-hmm. Her name has come up on every single one of these podcasts that we've done so far. So who else, or really from, from a broader perspective, and be negative if you have to be, what could the city do better to make it easier for guys like you or future guys like you to, to open a business and to run it here in Shreveport? So I think the one the one negative, really negative issue that we had has been solved, and that was the to me the MPC process. Okay. And I'll, I'll tell a ridiculous story about that. I'll come back to that. Um, but by and large, most of the other people that we worked with really wanted to help. I mean, going. I mean, even going to the folks at the police station because um, we were what we wanted to do. Um, really hadn't been done here. I mean, that was part of the thing that appealed to me was um, I want to do something that hadn't been done before. Well, in a lot of cases, even the pivot that we just did to a brew pub um, in uh, in 2018, there wasn't even a city law on the books when we decided to do that. I had to go to the city attorney's office, uh, work with uh, Karen Strand and Jeff Everson because he had to put forth the legislation. But, I, 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 want, I want to get to that pivot. That's okay. like, and, and so don't go into too great detail okay, on that part. But just the the initial startup into a tap room. The initial, the initial, um, the initial startup. I mean, knowing being able to go to someone like Liz and then being able to, she set up a lunch meeting with the state fire marshal with us at one time. Wow. To, where we went over and, and laid out our plans and went through it, um, and and that was extremely helpful. But the MPC process was absolutely ridiculous to get our certificate of occupancy and here and here's what we went through and and what 
the guy Sweeney, who's not here, I guess I can I can talk about it. Doesn't under, did not understand, is that at that time we were paying a bank loan. I had hired employees. I was paying rent. I mean, we were literally. This was in March of 2016. We were trying to get our doors open. Okay. And we had sent out invitations. We, we did a series of soft openings over about a three-week period. And the first one that we were going to do was on a Friday night. And we were trying to get our certificate of occupancy, and it was tied around our parking lot. That was the big issue. Did we have enough parking spaces, and did, did the drainage, the retention pond work? I went up to the MPC office four times to have them come out and review our parking lot. And every time they went out there, um, and it wasn't the poor guy that was counting the parking spaces, it was every time he would go to the man in the back that wouldn't talk to me, the man behind the curtain, he would um, send him back out and stall us. So we were getting stalled day after day after day. So we lost an entire two weeks of being able to open. And for us, that's time, that's revenue I'll never get back. I burned those costs. I could not get the man to understand that. Like, I'm not in a government entity where there's a, a bucket of money that refills yeah. constantly. I have this amount of money. This is what I have to work with. And every day that I'm closed, I'm, I could do the math. I'm losing $3,000 every day that I'm not opening. And finally, it got to the point where I literally, the guy that was supposed to, it, it was striping the, the parking spaces was the big holdup. So I called the guy that was supposed to stripe them, and I said, man, I don't know where you are or what you're doing right now, but it's like 5 o'clock at night. I will literally hold a flashlight for you to do this, but I need you to get up here right now because if I can't get this um, permit um, the, or my certificate of occupancy tomorrow when they come out and expect it, I'm going to have to put a, a lawn chair at the front parking lot and turn people away that I invited to come for two weeks. And to the guy's credit, he came up there and striped all those spaces that night. I had him come back the next day, and I got my CO, and it all worked. But that's you should not have to jump through that level of hoops. I wasn't asking for a favor. I wasn't trying to shortcut anything. Give me the five steps that I need to do, and I'll do them. I'll, I'll jump through all five hoops. But when I get through those five, don't put five more in front of me and tell me I need to do those two. So that process was, was ridiculous. It cost me a lot of money that I'll never get back. And it was something, it was just a mentality issue. What it was, Sweeney and our building owner were kind of in a feud. Yeah. Because um, our building owner was on the MPC and they didn't like each other. So it was really a really ridiculous way for him to kind of get at, uh, at our, a political move to get at our building owner through our business as a tenant. Yeah, meanwhile, you're, and you're and you're paying rent to the building owner, so the building owner didn't really suffer that much anyway. I'm paying rent. I'm <laughs> paying taxes that paid for that guy's job, but he's since gone, and that was um, that was a great move for him to resign because I can tell you from personal experience, and there, there'll be people that, that that have disagreed with me. They'll say, "Oh, the guy before him was corrupt." You'd go and that you'd grease. That guy was, in my opinion unethical in the way that we were treated because there was no reason that that should have taken place. We were trying to do it the right way and we had never done it before. So he was it, it was just because you didn't have it striped or he was telling you how many stripes you had to put down to make enough parking for the, the It was everything. Square, is it, it Okay, so what's our ordinance? Is it square footage equals certain amount of parking? I don't know. You'll have to have like Jeff Spikes on or something yeah. to answer that. What it 
what what got even more ridiculous is they only gave us a temporary CO certificate of occupancy, yeah. and then he came back and was messing with the building owner about the depth of the retention pond. It was like Cool Hand Luke, like pull the dirt out, put it back in. It's too deep. <laughs> and then finally, well, what we, we have here is a failure news. to communicate. Yeah, yeah. Get down there and dig it. You know, why are you putting the dirt up here? It was it was ridiculous. So our our temporary CO expired. We got put on the news. I had investors calling me, going, "Hey, what's going on?" I said, "Look, it's fine. It's a political move." They ended up getting it worked out, but but it was just completely ridiculous. And um, I, I I'm hopeful that you know with a lot of the change that we've had with the new mayor, the city council, the city council was great that we dealt with at that time. Uh, Jeff, anytime we needed him to do something, was willing to help. It was that one person, and you heard that from a lot of the, the construction guys of like the number of building permits and all that went down just because that that person did not understand business and that time is money and you never get it back. And at some point, people throw their hands up. They're going to go, I'm going to go invest my money somewhere else because I can do it and it's going to be cheaper. And they've made a change at the MPC at that level. He's resigned, and they have somebody else in play. He resigned about a year ago. I know they had a temporary person. I believe Alan Clark. Yeah. Um, which he was good to deal with when 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 we went through. Um, I don't know if Alan, if Mr. Clark's still doing it, but I haven't heard the level of complaints that 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 we dealt with. Is was that under the UDC with the, with the number of parking spaces, or is that just at the NPC's discretion? I believe we were before the UN, the new UDC went okay. into effect. They they gave me they gave me a hard time about my parking at my law office. That's like a twenty two hundred square foot building, and they and they they came out and they told my uh, secretary one day that we we couldn't open up because we didn't have enough parking. Because he fa- he failed to count like a whole nother. I have two lots. Isn't that <laughs> like, ridiculous? And that, and that like I only get I get one client a day, and you know I'm lucky for that. So, yeah. I mean, my our business is a little bit different. I get it, but at the same time, there needs to be a mentality, truly a mindset of change that says, I these businesses pay for our, our jobs, our tax base. We're not here, we're not here to, to cut corners, but we're here to let them understand the process and the expectation and help them move through that efficiently. And that's not the approach that was taken when, when we experienced it. it well, and, and there's a tax money perspective and the loss of money perspective, but to me it's a, it's a mindset. We're not, we're not Manhattan. Uh, like we're, we're not, we're losing population at, you know, and <laughs> We should try to get as much business here as we can. It should be how can we open Red River Brewing, not how can we prevent them or how can we make sure they're compliant with all codes. It's how can we help these guys open up. How many guys are you employing right now? We've got about 20 folks. So you're providing, and is that full-time, part-time? That's not, um, I'd say FTEs full. Um, we're probably at about eight. Eight full-time and 12, 12 kind of gig economy kind of employees. you got people brewing beer there. You have bartenders, managers, event space. You know, how can we do another one of those? Not how can we make sure they have enough parking. I mean, parking's an issue. I get that. But we're not at, Shreveport's not in a position to do that, in my estimation. I think that, um, that the mindset of, of, of that individual probably needed to change. But the rest of the city government... Were they on board with, let's get this open, let's figure this out? Yeah, I mean, again, going back to even the, the folks at the police station that, that completed our permits, and it was, it was everybody 
when you asked a question, they were trying to help you. They understood. If, and that's the thing. If you come to people from a position of, hey, I, I'm brand new at this. The old saying, if, like, if you don't know something, um, ask the question, you'll look like an idiot once, but you'll have a lifetime of knowledge. Like If you come to people yeah. from that standpoint of, hey, I don't know, can you help me with this? Nine and a half out of ten people were like, "Well, yeah, here's how you do it. Let me help you with that." And That's so awesome. That was only that was really our only negative experience from the, from, from a city. It also sounds standpoint. like that that one bad apple kind of like gives. Oh, every the whole city government is not yeah. helpful. It's like no, no. There's just there's a sticking point in there that was hard to work with. Everybody else was helpful. Everybody else, you know, you went with them. You had questions. They answered the questions. Correct. So, but but here but here and that's a great point because the, especially in my business permit driven license driven it's all a set of dominoes that have to fall you have you have you have eight dominoes and they're all sequential and you've got to do one before you can do you know you've got to do one before you can do two three and four and so if one of those becomes a huge choke point and bogs everything down it doesn't matter if you've got the other five lined up and so that impediment being moved hopefully at least in our experience would have sped up the entire process. So hopefully people moving forward, you may go from a, a six-month window to get open to maybe that goes down to four now because of that one piece that was broken. Yep. Well, okay, to that end, I, I'll, I'll move on to the pivot topic. In in March of 16, you guys opened up. You're brewing beer. You're distributing beer. Um, you, can, you, know, you can get a, a, a keg of beer at Twisted Root. You can go buy bottles of beer you were doing a bottling operation out of there you go to brookshire's and buy a bottle of red river beer or a six pack 12 pack whatever of hayride um so you know at some point you guys turned into this i mean just i I don't even know what to call it but it's awesome it's a it's a mixed bag of awesome things going on under one roof so you might walk in there and and see a glass blowing shop going on you you've got uh got some amazing food coming out from uh, Fulan's Fat Calf Boucherie. You've got an event space. I've been to a, a bourbon tasting dinner back there. It's a full bar now. Um, and I can buy art there. I can see art there. I can drink beer there and wine. Buy a cut of steak. Oh, I, I forget about it. They got a butcher shop back there. You can get a whole packet of meat. I can get my tri-tips and my ribeyes there now. So like, what what happened? Why did it happen? Tell us about the pivot and tell us all the challenges as a business owner you were facing that brought you to a point where you're operating a, a much different facility now. Yeah. Is this a three-hour show? Hell yeah. Okay. All you can it's handle. Like, it's like you have a village under the roof. Yeah. Like, like you, you, you went one way and then realized, oh, there's all these other things that – that's interesting. I didn't it, realize that that was the, the original pro- process. Right. So in, in the state of Louisiana, if you want to brew beer um, commercially, you, you have one of two licenses. You can't have both, but you, you can pick one of these two. One is called a manufacturer, which is what we started as. That's what we started in 2013. Um, and what we when we moved up to 1200 Marshall in, in March of 16, what we continued on. Um, that license, what it allows you to do is brew beer, and you can distribute that through the Louisiana three-tier system. We're a three-tier state as it relates to beer sales, which means there's three tiers between the manufacturer and the consumer. So the first tier is when the manufacturer sells to the distributor. Um, so we had to have a distribution agreement with, with the distributor. We had one with Glazier. 
the distributor then sells to a bar, restaurant, um, grocery store. That's the second tier. And then the third tier is that bar, restaurant, grocery store sells to a consumer. So there's three tiers in between the producer and the consumer. That's the so, retail side. The third one's the retail. The retail to the consumer. And then the so, distributor and then the manufacturer. Those are your three tiers. Right. Yeah. And so, but with that, you also are allowed to have direct-to-consumer sales at the point, um, at the place that you produce it. So you can have a tap room is, is, is what it allows you to do. So if you have no manufacturer's license, you can sell through the three-tier system into to, to consumers through grocery stores, bars, restaurants. And you can have a tap room where you can sell a pint or a six-pack or a keg, what have you, directly to a consumer. But the only thing that you can sell at your facility is the beer that you make that's brewed there. Okay, so that's one license. That's what we started as. And so that's where we began in 2016 uh, when we moved up to 1200 Marshall. We invested in a, in a, in a, in a brew house, a um, bottling machine, the whole nine yards, tap room, tasting room, whatever uh, word you want to use. And so we started down that path. And the idea was to build a brewery that would focus on a, a regional sized brewery that would focus on maybe sales in three to four states over about a five to ten year period. And so we were rocking along, and after we've kind of felt like we filled up the Shreveport Marketplace, we signed a distribution agreement in Monroe, and then we signed one in Alexandria, and then Lake Charles, and then Lafayette, and even down into Homa. And then we were working on our on our agreements to try to get into Baton Rouge and New Orleans and the North Shore, because mo- you may or may not know, and it makes a lot of sense, 70% of the beer sales in the entire state of Louisiana are in Baton Rouge and New Orleans. I mean, it makes sense. That's where most of the yeah. population is, and the parties, you know, what have you. Um, New Orleans is, is the bulk of that. Well, when we opened in 2013 and decided to go with that um, manufacturer's license, there was eight. we were the eighth brewery in the state. There was one in New Orleans at that time, NOLA Brewing Company. By the time that we fast forward to really I'd say the winter of 2016 when we were ready to kind of start working on getting down there that had ballooned up to about five or six breweries just in New Orleans well now there's like 10 in New Orleans so we started experiencing challenges getting into that market and we had not built a model that could self-sustain on 30 percent of the beer sales in the state so when we started running into those hurdles um, we did a couple things. We started trying to do whatever we could. I went and met with every distributor down there, whether they even focused on beer or not. Um, and then we also started looking at, in the East Texas. And so fast forward those hurdles that we started experiencing in the winter of, of, of 2016, go all the way to a meeting I went to at the Brookshire's headquarters in November of 17. And I specifically remember this was the moment that I decided that we were going to pivot. Uh, I had my my intern, Jackson McConico, who now works at Smith Farms. He and I went over to to meet with Mark Walden, who's the head alcohol buyer for all of Brookshire's. And Brookshire's is a big grocery operation. You go to this campus, they got to have your name. You can't just show up to the Brookshire's headquarters. They check you in, you go in. So we sit down with Mark, and um, you know he's over. He does all the alcohol buying for about 80 stores, Super One, Brookshire's, everything. And we start talking to him about going into East Texas. We're looking at our numbers, and he said, look, um, 
I'll be honest with you. We've got about 30 breweries between Dallas and here in Tyler. Um, I'll give you a shot in about five stores, but if you can't hack it in those, um, then we're not gonna we're not gonna expand you out to to a big distribution footprint. And um, I said okay, and in my mind I'm thinking, well, I can't get a distributor over here to sign me for five stores because Brookshire's is the retailer in East Texas. And so I asked another question. I said, okay, Mark, um, I understand that. I appreciate that. I said, where do you see the industry going, craft beer, in the next five years? And he said, you either need to get really big or you need to get really small. He said, because everybody in the middle is going to get crushed. And uh, we kind of quickly ended the conversation after that. said, thank you. I got in my car um, driving back. I called our lobbyist uh, through the Brewers Guild. And I said, Kerry. I called Kerry Coke. He, uh, I said, Carrie, um, I need to know what I need to do to change my license because what I'm doing is not working and it's not going to work because we never wanted to get huge. I mean, those days are kind of gone. Budweiser and Miller Coors have kind of bought in the, in the national footprint the big craft beer brands that they want. They've, if you look at a map of where they've bought, whether it's Carbock in Houston or Wicked Weed in North Carolina, um, you know, up the East Coast, West Coast, they kind of have the big player and they're just trying to crowd everybody out. So we just decided that we were going to go a different direction. So the other license that you can brew beer on in the state of Louisiana is called a microbrewer. And for all intents and purposes, that means you're a brew pub. And what that allows you to do, you can still brew your own beer, um, you can have food, and you can bring in wine and liquor. But what you lose is you can't sell your beer outside of your facility. It's just because you're now operating in that third tier, you're a restaurant, um, you can't exist in both tiers so now that that we started that process literally that decision was made in November of 17 and we worked from then until May uh, may have been mid-April of 18 to change our license but there wasn't even a license on the books in this in the city of Shreveport when we decided to do this but we still went forward with it I just trusted the process Uh, we worked with Jeff Everson Karen Strand they basically mirrored the state law, wrote a law that said, here's what this can do. It passed in mid-January, and we went forward. We had already kind of decided what we were going to do, but we went forward with making that change over from a manufacturer to a, to a microbrewer. And so it was a, it was a long, scary uh, six months of kind of bridging that gap because we had to cut off all of our distribution. We basically went down to our taproom revenue for about four or five months. So... Um, we started running out of beer because we did some equipment changeover, um, but by the hand of God, grace of God, it all worked to where we got that license and we were able to uh, bring in other beer, get the food operation up and going. And during that period of time, we kind of recognized we, we didn't need as much space. And so when Smith Farms was looking to locate into our building, we had a conversation with them. We said, look, we've built out all this infrastructure and overhead. We've spent all this money on electrical, plumbing. Instead of going over in this other space in an adjacent building, why don't you just locate in the back of our warehouse? And you'll save you know, tons of money on a sunk construction cost. And that's what, you know, when you're, when you're looking at co-sharing space, and leveraging assets and resources, that's really where it, where it makes sense because it saved them a ton of money that really you go spend and you hope you earn back, right? I mean, when you get a manufacturing operation like what we invested in, you go spend all that money on equipment and, 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 and installing it, 
and with the hopes that you're going to make a product that lets you earn that back. So they came in and they launched about the same time, uh, May or June of that year. And it's been a great relationship. It doesn't work. I, I don't know that it works for everybody, but I've got, we've got a great relationship with the Smith family, Craig uh, Smith and, and Jackson, who helps, uh, who helps them run that. And so we all have kind of make it, made it work. And then transitioning to kind of the glass blowing, how that came about, my wife and I, uh, late July last year, went, went, took a trip up to uh, Asheville, North Carolina. We uh, went um, to Lexington Glassworks. We were just walking around, seeing breweries, hanging out. And my wife looks at it, and we see a demonstration. She says, this looks really cool. I think I'd like to maybe get into that. Well, so I go home, and I start researching what it takes, the equipment-wise. I was like, oh, my God, this is way too expensive. There's no way. You, you don't step into glass blowing. It's almost like brewing. Um, you you got to go all in. And um, in the meantime, so her birthday is coming up in October, and the closest place that I could find for glass blowing was um, in New Orleans, uh, New Orleans School of Glass. And so I bought her that. We went down there in early October. We did it. She loved it. We made a few ornaments. And I come back two weeks later, and Jim Mosh introduces me to um, Eric Hess and Michelle Pennington, who are moving to town to start an art school here in Shreveport called Sanctuary Glass Studio. And so they come into the brewery, we eat lunch, and they're telling me what they want to do, and they're buying this mobile glass blowing equipment, and they're looking for a place to locate it. And I said, well, hey, I got some extra space. Um, why don't you locate here? You can get up and going. I've met all the fire marshal requirements, you know, I'm, you can get up and going really fast by locating in my place. I can shortcut a lot of the costs, kind of like the conversation with Craig. It'll be good for me. You'll bring people in the door. And my wife wants to learn how to do this. <laughs> so um, it was really just kind of a series of conversations and kind of chance happenings to where we've kind of evolved all that. And I think keeping an open mind and a mentality of we're here, um, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. How do we help other people? This is good for the community. This is a good community entity. Um, how do I help these guys? I've trudged through all this. It's, it's really difficult at times. How do I short circuit that for them and let them get started as efficiently as possible? And so that's, that's just been a mentality, I think, that served us well at Red River Brewing to kind of help pour back into Shreveport and help it be you know, it's a great place, but how do we help it get better? Well, it gets better by the people here. That's the only thing that's going to change it. Well, and, and to that end, um, I mean, I, w- I went to the tap room before you had, I mean, you might have had a food truck parked up front here and there, but now you have food in there, and at some point the law has changed, making it kid-friendly, mm-hmm. um, and you're utilizing some other space in the back for uh, private events and whatnot. So how has that changed your, your not really your target market, but, how has it changed the folks who are coming in to, to always have food there, to have Sunday brunch there, to have a you know a standing standing food service at lunch? I mean, it, how has that changed the dynamic of who's coming to drink your beer? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that is one point I kind of glossed over in that long kind of story. Um, we also brought so Chef Anthony Fallon had left wine country and was wanting to do kind of a, his standalone concept, Fat Cat Boucherie, when he initially decided to do that he had partnered with the Smiths to put a a food trailer outside of the brewery and that was going to be kind of the standalone food element at the brewery and when we decided to change gears that setup would no longer work for us to qualify as a restaurant 
because that's really what we're classified now is we're a restaurant that brews our own beer. And, so, and that's that's the qualification required by the brew pub statute? Correct. Okay, so you the, the pub's serious. you got to have some food in there. That's correct. Okay. So we literally took that food truck um, or food trailer. It's huge. If anybody's come, come to the brewery and looked in the back and seen it, we backed it into inside our four walls, deaxled it, took the wheels off, hooked it up to permanent utilities, and that's our kitchen. And so, you know, the the Falons, uh, uh, Anthony and Amanda um, were, I mean, they they really made that work because we really changed gears on them. Uh, and it wasn't anything that it just, that's, that's what had to happen because we were all kind of tied up in the same boat. Because if we didn't pivot and they were outside, you know, we weren't going to exist um, yeah. to, to, in, in a long-term sense. So they understood that and they got on board, but um, they agreed to come inside and kind of and kind of change the business model a little bit, which which was great. It really kind of saved us, saved our neck in that decision. But um, but doing that, having not just food but the quality of food that that, that he brings, and then bringing the wine and the liquor and and being able to be all ages, really where we've seen it. Is, is the middle of the day business on the weekends, the Saturdays and the Sundays when, you know, the young folks are looking to do something and they can bring their kids in. And then really the private events, um, just the ability to bring in, whether it's corporate holiday parties or wedding receptions, wedding rehearsals, things of that nature. We just lost all that business before because if, if we were trying to target a market of like 80 to 100 people for a private event, it's hard to do that on just beer, and not just beer, but your beer. When we brought in the wine and the liquor and, and the food, it really opened up the market to everybody. And so we really didn't, we had an idea of what that was going to do, but we really didn't know to the full extent. But I was talking with my um, operations and event people yesterday about our holiday party. So today's what, July 17th, 18th? 18th, hmm. yeah. We have booked out um, probably 80% of our December holiday schedule already. That's awesome. And a lot of those are renewals, but we would not be able to do that without the setup that we have now of being all ages, having the quality of food that we have, and having the wine and the the liquor element beyond just our beer. So pivot, good move, bad move? (laughs) It's been a great move. Um, And so, you know, that's for me, you you know, I guess from a business sense, kind of tying back to kind of some of the other stuff I do these days is, you know, I think a, a, a challenge in business in general is you start down one path and you, you think this is where we're going and you get very my, myopic or, or just focused on this is what we're going to do, this is who we are, but the market ultimately tells you what you need to be and you have to be receptive to that and, and receive that and look at it and go, you know, we could have put our head down or been prideful or whatever and said, I could have taken that conversation from Mark Walden and going, well, no, we're still going to go into East Texas, and we're going to get in these five accounts, and we're going to make this work. But I don't think that it would have worked. Maybe it would have. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't look backwards. I just kind of try to go forwards. But it's been a good move for us, and and I like what we've become. I think in business you want a niche, and what we have now of I don't know anywhere in the country you could go and get a great hamburger, a great beer, buy a steak going out the door, and also uh, go blow glass. Um, in an afternoon and, and you know um, I don't know where you can do that so I think we really have something unique not just to our market but across the country it's an experience it is an experience <laughs> you might want to put it on uh, 
one of those websites that offers experiences. It is. It's a great date night. Have, have you considered? Have you ever looked at an Airbnb experience? I'm familiar with them. I mean, they're they're separate and apart from the Airbnb like locations where you'd stay. Right. Anyway, so we, Thomas and I've had conversations about creating a Shreveport experience, whether that would be a culinary or an artistic. Um, we haven't really figured out what we're doing. But I want to be on it whenever y'all get that figured out. Sounds awesome. Um, what do you see your biggest success in in business so far? Um, for me, it's it's probably helping people and providing jobs. Um, you know, I think of uh, the way I grew up and 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 my dad and the business that they had and what I really admired is they employed um, employed about 100 people with their business and just what that kind of does to the community and what that provides, you know, the trickle-down effect. If you give a guy a job and he buys groceries and, you know, his kids go to school, I think to me it's very simplistic in that form of, of you know, looking at it and going, we've kind of trudged through all this, but at the end of the day, it's it's the people, the only way that we're successful, I mean, I'm not there right now running the place. Our business is built on the people that work there. It's not me. It's not my partners. It's the people that show up every day and provide that experience for the customers that come in. So I, I that's like a gratitude or a pride thing that I look at, and I think, you know, that's, that's really what we're doing is making people's lives better. Hopefully when you come in, you have a good time, but, but the people that work there, the fact that we're able to provide a hopefully a great environment for them to work in a good job is is something that that i try to take from my level and push it down of here's how we're going to treat people here's how we're going to treat our employees which is hopefully a good way and um and and, and really give people a good great safe um, place to work cool what um can you think of a, a failure in business that you've encountered that you've learned a, a lot from that you're willing to share sure um i think Really understanding um, from our standpoint, and I'll just, I mean, I'll say it on here. We, our, our sales ambitions for our product were beyond our personal development in a way. So really taking a step back, and that's what I try to do at EAP when I'm counseling people. Okay, you've got a number on a spreadsheet that says, I'm going to move this many units. Tell me how you're going to do that. And if they can't very quickly walk you through Okay, Josh, I need to sell, you know, 10,000 cases of beer per month. I know in grocery stores I'm going to move on average five cases per store. Therefore, I need this many placements. If they don't start a conversation like that, because that's not how I started it. I learned it. (laughs) But I could not answer that question to that level of detail. Very tactical, very specific, very logical on how you're going to hit these sales numbers. We were not prepared for... And, and some of it, the market got a lot more competitive, okay, to be fair oh, yeah. to ourselves. It got way more competitive. It tightened up on us. It wasn't the same market that we entered in 2013 to where you put a great product out there and the distributors are clamoring, clamoring for it. But all that being said, being very specific on your sales, because if you don't have sales, you don't have anything. And so our failure was not being able to really have a great sales plan to be able to hit our sales numbers, to be able to continue with that manufacturing business model. And again, you know, the market changed a little bit, but as we look at how we treat our business now, we look at 
average ticket sales and how many people we need to try to get through a door today to be able to hit that or weekly sales numbers and events how many how, how do we get x number of people in the door today and what tactics are we using to, to do that so um, you have to really decide from a business standpoint do i really have a business or do i have a product or a service because it's two separate things you may have a product but if there's no market for it People don't want to part with their money to buy it. You don't really have a business. You just have a product. And so understanding that market side was was our failure. And that's hopefully what I can help coach people or counsel people through. Everybody falls in love with, with the widget or the it. But it needs to be able to stand on its own or a way, or you need to be able to give it a plan to be able to provide money and income to be able to be a real business. Well, you guys are, are doing exactly that. I mean, you've the market changed right under your feet over the course of your your early growth, and I mean, I, I think it's a, I think Red River is a um, an example of an excellent to use the word again pivot. And now your your metrics are different, but um, but you're still. I mean, you, you, like I said, you've learned that the sales is very important, but now you're selling. You're selling food, you're selling experience, you're selling vodka and beer instead of just your product and just your bottles and just your grocery stores and whatnot. So, you know, it's still um, it it's an excellent move on you guys on on your part and on Red River's part. But I know back in 2018 when it happened, I saw the crowds triple. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, a lot of people don't want to drink craft beer all day. They don't, <laughs> and but you know, and some of it is swallowing your pride too. Yeah, and it seems insane to people. It's like, wait a minute, you just got in business, and now you're going to do what? You know, oh, and oh, by the way, you're telling me there's not even a law for this. Um, and, and so again, going back to a, a mentality standpoint, like the the Stoics have a have a saying that's what what's what's what. What's in the way becomes the way. So you just yeah. start knocking out these impediments. Like, okay, what what's the impediment? That's going to be my primary focus when I knock that one out of the way. So you either decide, like, I'm going to figure out a way through this, or, or you don't. And so we just kind of took a mentality of, you know, you're going to have to, you know, we're, we're not going to roll over and turn it over. Like, you're going to have, we're going to go forward and, and make that happen. But you have to swallow your pride a little bit because it seems insane to people. A lot of times from the outside. Yeah, that there's a the obstacle is the way book. That um, so I just read ego is the enemy. Same author, yeah. What's yeah. his name? Holiday. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan Holiday. Holiday. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, yeah, you guys definitely encountered a major obstacle, and and in in so handling it, created your own way and, and a whole new market and a whole new experience for Shreveport. So you're on Marshall Street. You're on twelve. You're at twelve hundred Marshall. Um, you're not in the core of downtown, but you're right on the outskirts. What what businesses does downtown Shreveport need? What businesses would complement Red River? Um, what business would you use, your employees, your other customers? What would you like to see go in either right there in Marshall, or, you know, on the outskirts or in the core of downtown? Okay. And, and to be fair, I, I did listen to a couple of your guests, and so and I know some of the things that were mentioned, and I, and I agree with her. Um, a grocery store was one. Um, I'm going to throw another one that out there, and this kind of goes back to my prior career. I think some type of basic medical services, uh, be it a pharmacy that has like a, a nurse practitioner or a PA in it, some basic um, medical services, I think would be critical. Because really what, to me, 
for downtown Shreveport, if the idea is I'm going to either not even have a car or I can park my car and I don't have to move it for a week, what are some of the things that you need to be able to do? Well, you need to be able to go buy food, not just restaurants, but you need to be able to buy groceries, things of that nature. But what happens if you need to go fill a prescription or you, you, know, you, you, need, you need some sinus medicine? Do you then have to go get in a car to do it? Um, we were trying to place, um, uh, or we were in a concept phase of, of looking at a medical clinic somewhere around, and it just kind of it kind of fizzled out. But we, we looked at some property um, at one period of time. But to me, that would be key as well as some type of pharmacy or some type of basic, basic medical care down here. Because, you know, you, what, you need food, shelter, uh, you know, to feel safe, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, you, you need you need that to me that 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 basic medical element to where, gosh, what's the closest pharmacy? Well, I got to go get in the car. What if you could walk two blocks and, and pick up your prescription or get a delivery service, something of that nature? But I, I think that would be a, a great addition in addition to the grocery store. Some of the other things that have been mentioned. Well, what would a gro- what would a downtown grocery store look like to you? Like, how would you structure it if, if you had, if you were tasked with, you know, here's $300,000 and here's a, where would you locate it and what would it look like? Um, well, is, is there going to be one in the Ridgeway? Are they going to do that? We've, everybody who's Gone developing, a, everybody who's doing apartments on the second floor and above has a grocery store going in. And there's going to be 20 grocery stores <laughs> in downtown Shreveport in a year, if you believe uh, everything. So I don't know. But I, I all I know is right now I can't get... I can go to your place and get a steak. But when I lived in downtown Hammond, Hammond has 40,000 people, and I think that's only when Southeastern is in session. I could walk out of my apartment, go work out at an Anytime Fitness, or I could go to a fancy gym if I, if I paid the membership. I could walk to my office and go to work. I could walk to a yoga studio if I did that. I could go buy a bottle of wine, have a glass of wine. I could buy a steak vegetables, seafood, all that stuff is in little bitty old downtown Hammond, Louisiana. And it, it was a ghost town in the 80s, from what I understand. So they didn't have a supermarket, but they had, you could do that there. I can't do that in the city of Shreveport. Yeah. So um, a couple ideas that, that come to my, my, my sister lives in Huntsville, Alabama, which is a great model for Shreveport. Um, She's been there about 10, 12 years. They lived in uh, the Twickingham district, which had a little place called Star Market. And it, it's more of like what an old A&P was, a lot smaller, smaller type place. So that would be one idea. Um, but that was more of like a standalone store. So maybe you could take the, the Mandina's building that's a little that big and on a little bigger piece of property and maybe develop that. Um, but not not something really huge, you know. That that place was the size of a Dollar General, or maybe a little, or it is of the, that size. Another option I, I think would be really more of like a truly a little more of a boutique, and I don't mean that in the in the expensive sense. But uh, my college roommate lived in the Alberta district, uh, right near Portland, uh, a couple years ago. We went 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 up and visited, and there was just a little neighborhood grocery store that was about the size of a convenience store but it was truly a grocery store and it had the basic amenities it didn't have all the crazy stuff but it had you know you could buy an onion and you could buy a bottle of wine and you could buy a piece of meat and you could buy cereal and ketchup and things of that nature and it was basic things that you could get by on i think something in those two models would be what i would envision you don't you don't need a Walmart down here. You don't need a Whole Foods. I don't even know if you need a Trader Joe's. 
I don't think you need some big, sexy, um, even high-end small place. I think just something that's pretty basic that you can get basic amenities, I think would be a step in the right direction that maybe had a small pharmacy in it. Maybe that's all packaged together. Do any of your employees live downtown? Like walk to work or bike to work or anything? We have some that bike to work. Yeah. yeah. Um, one, my brewer, um, he actually lives in Highland. And yeah. He, and he that's bikes an easy, to work. yeah, that's an easy bike He's got ride. an electric bike and he, he does it every, he doesn't even have a car. Nice. Um, I've got a couple and I've, a couple of the people that work in the kitchen bike to work. So, um, have you ever had Walkable City? Thomas, yeah. Thomas shared that with me. And, uh, and I, I sent it to Liz, and I think Liz had already read it like two years ago or something or, or longer. But um, I'll share that with you. It's an, it's an interesting – the guy's totally Seattle who wrote it. But nevertheless, it's a very interesting he's a, perspective. He's a city planner. Yeah, he's and, a, yeah. And his thing is he goes to a city that he's going to he, – he lived – he lives – when he's young, he lives in um, – Miami, I think, and he talks about kind of as he moves from place to place, his job becomes city planner. He gets contracts to go to places like one of the places he goes to is uh, Laurel, I mean, uh, Lowell, Massachusetts, which is uh, just north of Boston. But he goes and lives there for a few months. It was a manufacturing town on a on a river. um, And then basically the, you know, what what they do and how they make the city, you know, a small space. Uh, you know, pleasant for pedestrians and, and, you know, basically like stop driving cars 50 miles an hour on a four lane and trying to make people walk near that. That's uncomfortable for people to walk near. Take that down to, you know, one or two lanes, slow the traffic down, get them to stop and then walk around the two things. But, you know, the two things don't necessarily match up. And, and so many so much of the time a city wants to put a freeway right you know because it's like we need to get all these people from the suburbs back into town to work and then back out again so that's kind of the i don't know there's a it's a it's much an interesting deeper rate. dive into that kind of yeah it's it's real interesting um again it i'd love to see his name is jeff speck i'd love to see him spend a few hours in treeport and then get his uh, well, he did take his temperature did, on that. He did a bunch of stuff in Baton Rouge. Okay, cool. So well, it's 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 worth a. I, I listened to it on Audible, and I'm not done with it yet. But um, when you mention a guy that lives in Highland and bikes to work, it just it, it reminded me that I still have a few chapters left on that. Um, so the, the grocery store idea is like endlessly fascinating to me. And Thomas and I've run through. We should bring it to EAP. Well, and I, I, but I think the I think the grocery store idea is very similar to the brewery idea. It's, it would need it needs somebody to have a very have their ego in check, where it's not like we are doing this because what's going to your market is going to tell you, hey, you know what we <laughs> thought people wanted steaks and wine and sinus medicine. Turns out they want cigarettes, you know. And if you're just selling cigarettes, then great, just sell cigarettes. And and um, Liz is gonna kill me now, but <laughs> but you know like the, if you if you go in a direction and then realize that that direction is not what your customer you know wants exactly what you said like if you can't tell me how many wines and steaks you're gonna sell to keep this place open and those metrics right now we're going to the next idea 
Right. But that's, that's but you can't force the market. I mean, you might want a quaint, cute little expensive boutique type market with, oh, the wine shop here. And, oh, we have great cheese. But, no, you know, I hate to say it, but at this point, downtown Shreveport is not going to support that. Um, or, or it, it may. You it don't may. know. Yeah. But that's that's your point is we, we if you don't know. But then, they have to have frosted right. flakes. They need to sell some milk. The point they, you're making is it doesn't have to be that. Yep. I mean, yeah. it, it may be that, but, but we need to be open-minded enough to go, it doesn't have to be that. It can be a little more brought back to where it's a little more practical. Yeah. And that's, that's what, you know, I, I think, I think it can work. And, and, and the challenge is, do you have the people? Do you have that? But at some point, like with us, I mean, you, you gotta be you got to be good enough to draw people in too. So maybe maybe you do need some little niche to pull to go. Okay, I'm I'm worth stop. They have this great cut of meat or whatever. The guy that works downtown, he's going to stop in there to grab X um, because it's so good. And then hopefully you get something else. But you, you need some kind of hook. I and mean, we always think of that in our business of you know how am I going to get people in the door? I'm not. It took us a long time to understand we're in the entertainment business. I'm not in the beer business. Yeah. It's like McDonald's in the real estate business. Beer is my medium that I work through, but I'm in the entertainment business. You come in there to have a good time, to have the full experience like we're talking about, and beer is the channel that we work through to get you there. I I like the idea of the the grocery store with a lunch concept, but I think you're right. If it's just a basic deli lunch – Maybe that's not the hook it needs. Maybe a, some some place there's a really good Reuben at lunch, or you know what I mean. And, and everyone comes for that one sandwich or a great burger at lunch. And then oh, there's a grocery store, you know, in the same place you're getting that burger. Well, the beauty of that idea is that, and 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 it's kind of kind of what we have with Smith and and our food element is your your food inventory in a way, or, or your restaurant food inventory can become, or vice versa. Like if something's moving slow in the grocery store, you put it as a special. Um, that day, um, yeah. and, and as in the deli, yeah, I yeah, like it, it gives you in the grocery store concept. Then it could give you same thing. Like we want to sell groceries over here, but this guy wants to sell, you know, whatever over there. Work together, like like, to, a, like a shared space model. Yeah, like, grocery store. Yeah, yeah. If you if you man, maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's Shreveport's the thing that nobody's paying attention to is like. Hey, we have a bunch of. We're a small city. We 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 have a big footprint. We have a good number of people, but we're still a pretty small city. Stop trying to be Dallas and be Shreveport. Be Shreveport Bozier. Be what we are, and then that means here we don't have one, you know, massive grocery store. We have a footprint this size that moves this amount of groceries, but also has, you know, a music venue in it. Or a you know anything else, something else that works along with the same thing. Like, why would you have a brewery with glass blowing in it? Why wouldn't you? You do have it. It does work. But but nobody sat down with that business plan and said, and then we're going to have glass blowing in there. It's because if you say that, people will be like, that will never like that. People want to say that will never work because I've never seen it before. So stop saying no. And like, just try some things. Make it where it's not. You're not going to get crushed if you put in something. You know, if it's not sustainable, it's not sustainable. But that doesn't mean you have to be hard headed and be like, well, we're just shutting it down. Right. Like, like let the market tell you how to move forward if if it need be. 
Well, I mean, if anybody out there is listening to the four people that look to do a grocery store, we, we've always got a little room um, up at the brewery, so I, we could trial and error some concepts. We've talked about that with Smith. Um, they do uh, they do some runs down in South Louisiana, like bringing seafood back, different things, and it's just, you know, sometimes it's you got to focus on your core. You can't, it's kind of, you know, with entrepreneurs, a lot of times it's 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 not. We talked about it earlier. It's not having a lack of ideas. It's having the follow through on the right one and not getting distracted. So, uh, but yeah, we've we've kind of toyed around, kind of expanding some of that because we do have we have the foot traffic. We already have the meat element. Does it make sense to just add some core offerings to? And we just hadn't had time to focus on it enough. Yep. But if somebody wants to do it, we're up for a combo. <laughs> All right. Well, what um. If you had to narrow down two things that Shreveport has going for it, two really positive things about Shreveport, what would what would they be? I think the people. I mean, I know that's kind of a, a wimpy kind of answer, um, but um, I've lived here almost as long as I, I guess I grew up in my hometown, and I, f- I feel like I'm local here. I feel like I, I know a lot of people. And a lot of that, you have to put yourself out there. But I feel like people are very welcoming here if you're willing to put yourself out there and and, and, and have the same mentality of being open-minded and, and, and welcoming. Uh, but there are, I mean, just like you guys, there's a core of, 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 of a younger generation that is trying to do things, that wants to do things, that is willing to help uh, people that, that have ideas and want to do things. And then through the things that I've seen and, and it not only experienced, but, but the things I see with EAP, there's, a, there's that other generation of, of our parents or maybe even our grandparents' age that if somebody has a good idea and they can demonstrate that they're competent and, success, and, and, and competent and a hard worker and it's going to see it through, there's people willing to kind of help put, put some money behind it to make it work. You do have to know where to go and you do have to know um, – and when you do get that shot, you got to have your elevator pitch, and you got to have all the things ready. But there are people here that want to help improve this area, and it's just getting getting connected to those folks is, is critical. So that's one. Um, the second thing, I mean, I think geographically we're in a good place too, and 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 I'll expound on that a little bit and to say that um, you. You either look at what's going on in our area, and and you feel like it's either a problem or an opportunity. You know, we were talking before we got on, got on the air about the cost of, of buildings and different things here. Um, that's a huge opportunity for people to come in and take advantage. It's a of. very low cost of entry. I mean, it com- is. compared to other mid-sized towns around the, the nation. And so for us, I mean, you are it, it does it does make it a little bit more challenging because in some ways, like in our case, we were. You know, very early in the market here locally, you have to do a lot of education on, like, in our case, like, this is this is better beer than the, the natural light, whatever. Like, you're drinking beer, you just need to drink this, it's better. You have to do a lot of education. In the same sense of opportunity here, um, you can get in on the ground floor. Like, I feel like we're, we're in on the ground floor of hopefully an upswing. And so when that upswing does happen, like we're going to take advantage of it because we're here, we're already here. And so I think people have to take a look at like what geographically and what exists here, the infrastructure, and go, man, there's a, there's a huge opportunity here. We just need to go ahead and take advantage of it because 
we're going to get in at a low market rate for this rent or this location because the tide the tide is turning. If you're in the right circles and you hear what's going on, there's a lot of people doing some cool things. I mean, we've got um, a distillery coming in. Uh, we've got a lot of investment into the, the apartment buildings downtown. Um, there's there's just a lot of really good things happening, and we see a lot of awesome ideas that are being tossed around uh, that that come through EAP that that we know that are coming along that are really positive. Yeah, and and I think again, Thomas and I decided to get this thing started and to have these conversations and record them because we keep having the same conversations that there are a lot of good people doing a lot of cool things and. The barriers to entry are fairly low. The cost to entry is super low. So you take those two positives that the city of Shreveport obviously has going for it. How do you market that to the, the world at large? How do you tell that to the startup tech company in San Francisco? All the employees are really tired of paying $3,500 a month in rent. Like, how do you tell folks on, you know, all over the country that this is a place to come to because of logistics, cost, and, and people? And... From what you've said today, a government that's actually willing to kind of help you get going in business. Yeah, I think, and I, and I don't, I don't think we necessarily need to do what I'm about to say. Um, so that's kind of a weird, a weird statement. But I think we need. I look at what happened in like downtown Little Rock and Oklahoma City, where there was um, a real true vision that took place for. I don't know if you guys have been there. Like downtown Little Rock is nice. That stretch right along the river. It's, it is nice. They got the the Clinton Museum and the the Heifer International and all that. And it's and there's a running trail and there's there's like four or five breweries. There's all kind of stuff going on. That was more of like a governmental kind of planned investment. I don't know if that is the right approach, but the government's going to have to be involved in whatever master vision that takes place. But um, I feel like there's a lack of like a true vision of what downtown needs to be in a way and that kind of holds us back because you've got kind of the casinos and the Red River District um, and some of the you know I was listening to to, I didn't realize the bar moratorium that Chase was talking about the other episode I didn't know that existed but that's a total conflict of what he's right of of what that area needs to be Um, and then you've got a lot of the cool stuff that's happening up on the, uh, I guess, the west end of, of, of Texas Street with uh, with Parrish Taco and the Robinson and is all that kind of, if we can, you know, if it can kind of grow together and make make a really, because te- to me, Texas Street is kind of the backbone of, of, Absolutely. of downtown, so that's got to be vibrant. But there needs to be a real vision of what that's going to be. And and I don't, I haven't seen that yet of of. You know, look, we're going to make this a district or we're going to do this or that to make this work. It's not going to be a hodgepodge of different things. And and not to say that that can't work, but I think when you're talking about a marketing standpoint of how you come in and say, look, this is, going back to an elevator pitch, this is what this is about. If you have to over-explain it, I think it gets lost in that. Well, and I think, too, like just from what you just said, from starting from, uh, the Old Sun Furniture, which uh, Sportran is turning into something. Yeah. Uh, Over Murphy. F- f- yeah, yeah, at right across from the city jail. Yeah, yeah. Going down towards Shreveport Common, crossing Common Street, then you have Distillery, then you have uh, the Strand, you know, then going over to, you know, Texas Street, you have... Uh, Parish Taco, you have uh, Shrack, 
you know, all of that stuff going. And then there's a gap from there, you know, courthouse. There's that gap. But it's only like a block and a half. Um, Missing link is there. Uh, well, and yeah. Dickie Grider's got things on both corners, which he's really spiffed up. Yeah, they yeah, look nice. Um, and then you've got um, the Noble Savage mm-hmm. gap from Noble Savage down, you know, across market uh, to the, the old D's photo. Well, and then there's the 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 standard standard. Yep. Thank you. And then um, and then you get to you know the Red River. So it's filling district. in. It's filling in, yeah. And and it, if you think about it, you know, you guys are are on Marshall. Like, I I feel like you could take from where you're at and go up Marshall towards uh, Stoner. You know, like there's stuff. There's raw land, literally <laughs> just sitting there with old buildings right across the street. Like there's nobody using them except for the maybe the cement plant guys are there and then the uh, moving whatever the interstate yeah. moving whatever but that's what's there but if, if you could get a group of people that, that were interested in you know developing that in some way the cost of doing so is pretty low that's all opportunity zone that's all you know y- what you built is you know you started the village underneath the the, the roof there that's like just you've, you've got the parking lot. You know how to make the parking lot. You know, you know how deep the pond has to be. It's all done. So next, you know, move move up, Domino up down one. Marshall yeah, Street. and then and then everything you know it becomes lively again. You got Katie right there on the corner of Lake. Yeah, and Marshall as well. You know, so and Thrash has that building right at the corner. I mean, like. There's a Just bunch of stuff in. right yeah. there, and it's all getting filled in, and it's all it all seems to be, you know, if you think about it as a whole, it's like, oh, wow, there is a lot of stuff actually going on, you know, which Liz would, you know, tell you. But it's it's hard to, to conceptualize. If you're not down here a lot, oh, what's that? I don't know. I saw it. I kept driving, you know. But if you're not walking around, then, then it's, harder, it's harder to do. Well, and to, and to both points, I, I agree with Jared in that, there is there there it seems like there's no cohesive understanding of what it is to be there there's spotty development and spotty i don't mean in a, in a bad way there's really cool things going on in little pockets like you just mentioned and it's like every fourth building something cool is going in maybe that's the organic way it happens do does the city of shreveport i know they have much bigger fish to fry than creating a vision for their core i, I would i would argue that point but nevertheless that they're is it their job to come up with that, or is it the job of private enterprise in the private sector to get in there and do what you guys are already doing? No, it's not their job to to come up with the vision because uh, that that's that's to me that's capitalism, right? The the individuals are smarter than the aggregate, or the you know, that and, and I think you know with uh, the new economic development guy Brandon Fail, he, yeah, he's very forward thinking. I've, I've had meetings with him. I think I think he's going to do a great job. Their job is to connect the dots. Their job is to pr- provide the way or help help people walk through the process of hey, I want to start this. Kind of like what Liz did with us. You know that that's that's kind of what their roles are. Well, okay, this is the person, the point of contact for this license. This is the person for this. Here's the sequence of steps. Facilitators. That's what they need to do. They don't. I don't think they need to, to design the vision. But when someone comes to them, they need to go. 
I need to be able to pull it out and you're okay, you're gonna open a restaurant. Here's the checklist of what you need to do in yeah. downtown Shreveport. Here's how we can help. Here's the people to go talk to. Um, you know, fragmentation is, is not a is not a terrible thing. I mean, I, I think of some of the cities that I've visited in the last few years and part of what makes it cool and authentic is that it, it is authentic. It wasn't planned, it's not canned. Yeah. It, it's not it's not a strip center dropped into downtown. It's funky. It's it's got and and Shreveport has that view of the buildings. I mean, our architecture is a little bit older in, in some in some cases. Um, but what I, I guess what I'm, I'm thinking from a the city from either from an incentive standpoint or whatever could come in and say, hey, look, here's what we need to do, and we're going to help provide. We're going to waive permitting fees or whatever it is if you're this. You know, or if, if you're willing to locate in here for X number of period of time, you're willing to sign a lease. There's different things that they can do. They don't have to design the vision. They just have to do their part to help it be easier to get started. Follow-up to that, I think there needs to be a vision. So who's going to do it? <laughs> like who's going to be the marketing agent of – I don't know. I, I like what you say, though, because I really – I think if you go out of, of Shreveport, not just if you want to advertise in Southern Living or put an advertisement in Garden and Gun, like you see these ads that states put in, you see these ads that towns put in, um, in into these magazines. And if Shreveport were to do that, we see the same pictures over and over. There's a picture from the Red River Rebel from about the late 90s. You know, there's I know the, the Tourism Bureau does what it can, but I never feel like the Shreveport that I know and love is represented in, in those in those models, in that advertising model. And and I'd like to, I mean, you don't have to answer this question because it's not really a question. It's just really how do how do the folks that are already doing something create that cohesive vision and then put it out into the world? And I mean, to some degree, that's the point of the podcast, which will morph into the website and everything else. I'd like to, the younger visionaries of Shreveport, I'd like to have the opportunity to say what they think their vision is. Yeah, I mean, all I, I, I guess my answer is, I'm, we're going to do our best to do our part of, of, of having um, a great a great venue, a great environment, and and just where we can help other people, um, either through just counseling knowledge of hey, look, this is this is what that looks like. Be careful for it, or hey, yeah, you got an idea for something? Come in, come into our space. We can help you launch. That that's hopefully what our role is as a, as a connector or facilitator, and. Because that is what it's going to take is 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 a mindset, a mentality of not territorial. Like they're going to compete with me. Like how do we make the entirety cooler to pull more people down to where they're going to do more? And I think that's that is a little bit of you know you can you can interact with that a little bit. Um, not everybody has that mentality. I guess uh, that, yeah. that's the way I'll leave that statement. But. Um, that's hopefully what we do. We're hopefully we're doing our part, and and then we have the next guy that has the next cool idea. I mean, you're seeing it. There's now here's a distillery. What's going to be the next cool thing? We just need to help help support all that, and and not dog it out, and not talk about it because, to your point, um, you don't we don't know what it's going to turn out to be, and we need to do what we can to, to to help help those folks move move along as best as we can. We had tons of people that helped us. I can't even list them all, and, and so that's what I feel like our role is to help do. Agreed. Um, all right. Rapid fire. My, my, my question's here. What's the magic pill for our town? If you could do anything to turn Shreveport around, if you could magically 
I mean, is it, a lot of people just say jobs. What, what do you think Shreveport needs uh, more than anything right now? Time. I, I think we're moving in the right direction. I think, I think just we need to continue to foster what we're doing um, and, and, and support it, I guess, is because is, there's, there's people out there doing things. We just need to give it a little more time and, and change our mentality, our mindset. Be proud of where we are. And, 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 and to your point, when people ask, well, what is Shreveport? We need to have an elevator pitch of what it is or downtown. Maybe that's, what, maybe that's the first step. What is the Shreveport downtown elevator pitch? Like, what is there to do there? We need to be able to rattle that off. And so I think, I think we, need, we need to change our mind about when we communicate about where we're from and, 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 and what there is here to do. There's tons of stuff to do. We just need to be able to, to refine that and communicate that. So marketing and time, I guess, is what. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think I think marketing, and I, I mean, obviously time, but I, I don't think anyone would come up with that answer. That's a heck of an answer because, but if we, if, the, if this constant negativity over time just brings us down, if, if we have a, a bit of positivity and good marketing over time, we can grow the town into what we want it to be. But I like the idea of the development of an elevator pitch for the 3180. Like that could be like a contest. Yeah. For the website, uh, but I, I think we do need an elevator pitch. If you could send a text message, and everybody in Shreveport got it, what would it say? I think I said the quote earlier, and it's um, don't don't find a problem with every solution. Find a solution to every problem. I mean that's. We need to change our mind of, about how we view things and because and, there's there's great opportunity here. If you're under 35 years old, why would you move to Shreveport? I mean, I, I think there's, I mean, we, we've got lakes, rivers, breweries. I mean, we've got tons of stuff to do here, whether you want to raise a family here or where, whether you're into vices and you want to go down to, to, to the casino or what have you. I think, I think we have a lot of diversity. I grew up in a small town, so my perspective of there's nothing to do here, I think is ridiculous. It, it is ridiculous. I had yeah. to drive 45 minutes to go see a movie um, or to go eat at a place that, because our town, everything closed at eight o'clock. So I don't. I don't get the. It's all perspective. I think it's a small-minded view. Um, and the other little funny thing, and I know I'm deviating off the topic because it's rapid fire. But uh, w- one thing that makes me laugh is the people that talk about um, the homeless problem downtown, or the people that the, the vagrancy. It's like, what big city have you been to where there's not like homeless people? Like, what utopia do you think we should be to where we're not going to have that here? Like, it's everywhere. Like, we just. We need it's to, also, I think, I think Chase talked about it. He was like, it used to be really, really bad. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like it's, it's it, you know, the fact that there's someone in the street that may approach you and ask you for money, and you can say no, or you can give them money, whatever. I mean, it's, it's not, I think there's a, a feeling of, of danger there. Like, oh, these, this person is dangerous because I don't know them. They're coming up to talk to me, or they're asking me for something. And it's like, people ask me for money, you know, downtown every once in a while. And generally, I'm like, you know, sorry, I can't help you, you know, and keep walking. And then I'll see the same guy for maybe a week, and then he'll be gone. Uh, but there's always one or two people, you know, 
asking for something. But I mean, I used to live in I used to live one block from Skid Row in Los Angeles. It's like, you know, I, I haven't seen anybody, you know, using intravenous drugs in the street. I haven't seen, you know, people, you know, walking around naked screaming. I haven't, you know, a lot of things I saw in that, you know, there I have not seen here. So it just, I guess the perspective for me is like, oh, no, I mean, every you know, if you're homeless, like you're going to a place where people are going to be walking around, like that's so you that's, can ask them for right, money. Right, so you that's can ask for money, but I mean, that's your. They're not really hurting anybody. They may be, you know, they're down on their luck. They're they're mentally ill in a lot of places. A, a lot of yeah, absolutely. And and it's like you can't. And I think there are services like Everson knows. Like every time I'm with Everson somewhere, someone will ask for something, and he has, a, like a three point like here you can do this you can do this here is a ticket take it you they'll get put you on the bus they'll take you to a place that has food has a place where you could take it you know like and the you know he's like i'm sure that not everyone really needs that but service, yeah, he keeps but in I, his car but i get yeah, he's <laughs> like i give it to them every single time and he's like if i can just help one person who actually needs help i mean sometimes people don't need help they're just they're just looking for a handout and again I, I, that's fine i don't i don't care yeah um, I don't feel danger in that. I, it, maybe it's a little uh, inconvenient at the well, most. Well, and I, and I, I mean, I think that's a function of Shreveport having so many protected enclaves, and people leave those protected enclaves and they come to the the, the big city. That I mean, they'll fly to New York, they'll fly to L.A., they'll fly to San Francisco and tell you how great those towns are. But when they have to take I-49 and go to their little mid-sized city and they see a homeless person, that's this person would not be in their protected enclave. So that's, so that's what's so off-putting. They expect to see that in Manhattan. They expect to see that in San Francisco. But God forbid it, it's on their back doorstep because they're not used to seeing that. So it, it is perspective, and it's the perspective from which they, they're coming into downtown, and there's like four homeless people hanging around the courthouse asking for money. Yep, that's what they're doing. Yep. <laughs> Big deal. Um, but I'm with you. So I, I like the answer to the under 35, and and. I think we'll hear that a lot on this podcast is there's way there's like too much to do. Like you can't do everything that's on your weekend calendar here anymore. There's too much cool stuff going on. All right, this is everybody's favorite. Who's my next podcast guest? And your focus is is downtown? My focus is making a, a one eighty into three one eight. So if there's somebody in Bozier who's who's doing amazing things uh, with you know the East Bank, if there's somebody in Minden that's doing really cool stuff that you know, wants to move to Shreveport and wants to tell me why. If there's somebody that moved away because they hate Shreveport, I want to talk to them. If there's somebody that just got here and loves it, I want to talk to them. I want to find out from as many perspectives as I can um, what's going on with Shreveport and, and why do what you know why are we here and why are we trying to make it better? I would I I'd nominate Brandon Fail. I mean, I don't even know him that well, um, but um, the interactions I've had with him. I like his, his mindset, his mentality, um, and he's got a lot of good ideas. And he's lived in Manhattan, um, and he's got an important position at the city that I think he's going to do a good job. And I think he'll he'll give a, 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 an interesting perspective as well. You know, um, Trent Siskren, did you listen to the uh, the Rialto pod- podcast yet? Part of it. Trent and, uh, and, and Brandon met. He said the exact same thing. I've, I, I think I've met Brandon in passing. Um, and I've been to the restaurant, the levee, mm-hmm. a couple times. But um, I'm absolutely I'm going to reach out to him. We haven't had anybody from Shreveport government on here. So um, 
Jared, where can people find you? Where can they reach out to you? And um, tell us a little bit about where Red River is and, and how to reach you. Yeah, so we're, we're located at 1200 Marshall Street, so we're just on the south side of I-20. Um, and we're open uh, Wednesday through Sunday, so we're open for lunch. You can come in 11 o'clock, generally close around 10, 10 o'clock at night, uh, but Wednesday to Sunday, I'd uh, love to see you. We've got live music, we've got beer, food, class blowing, we've got a lot of different things going on. And then um, if you're looking, if you got an idea for a business um, or you have an existing business that, that, that you want to help grow, I also do some work over at EAP, and you can, they can find me at uh, jared.bevel, uh, which is J-A-R-E-D dot B-E-V-I-L-L-E at E-A-P-L-A dot com. Because I, I'd love to help you out. I want to hope... Love seeing this area grow, and I'd love uh, I'd love to help you out and hear what what idea you got. I promise you, it's not going to be anything crazier than than what we we've we've kind of gone through or done. But um, but yeah, that's probably the best way to, to reach me. And if I'm at the brewery, um, come up and we'll, we'll we'll have a beer and chat a little bit. And uh, it's been fun. I appreciate the, the opportunity. Well, thanks for thanks for being here, and um, thanks for opening a brewery with a glass blowing, meat selling, food distributing. Um, art selling shop it's it's always a pleasure to go in there and have a good time um thomas i'm just glad that we made it all the way and no one said you know it's a chicken and the egg oh we made it all the way through oh and that concludes our time here today at the 3180 podcast